This is part two of a two-part series on taxation for those who are working remotely from the country of Georgia. In the first part, we discuss some really important concepts about whether you will actually be liable for taxes here and how long you can stay here before taxes may be an issue. So if you didn't listen to that, please jump back and listen to that first because some of the concepts we talk about here might not be completely clear without listening to that episode. If you're already quite familiar with those topics and you already know you need to become a taxpayer here, then this episode is going to cover all of the best tax solutions and all of the main types of companies that foreigners who start working remotely from Georgia are likely to register. We're going to be talking about the 1% tax rate for people with the small business status. We're going to be talking about LLCs for people who don't qualify for the 1%. We'll also talk about remote taxes for employees as well as covering the main ways that you need to know about how to pay your taxes and when to pay your taxes. Please note that the information we provide today is just that. It's for information only. If you want to get a personalized, tailored tax solution, you do actually need to speak to a professional tax advisor, maybe one from our team at experthub.ge, because the information we provide today is not going to cover absolutely every possibility and every topic. We can only do that if we speak to you in person. For this reason, we take no liability or responsibility for anything that may occur after following the advice from this show. Come Joba! This is the Tbilisi podcast covering life, travel and more in the country of Georgia. Brought to you by foodfundtravel.com, expathub.ge and eatthistours.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the second part of this two-part podcast. As I said in the intro, if you didn't listen to the first part, you might need to go back and do that. But otherwise, we're here for the second part. I was speaking to Levan, our head of tax here at expathub.ge in the last episode, and we continue the second part of that interview right here, right now. Tax solutions and benefits is the, the next part. As we said, uh, even in a situation where you messed up, and you ended up not paying the taxes you were supposed to in a timely manner, you might end up better off by telling your home country that you're a tax resident of Georgia now. So let's talk about some of the, the different tax rates we have here, uh, some of the different situations that we have, uh, and then people can figure out for themselves which one applies to them. So I think we should start from employees again, maybe, as we did in the first section. Yeah, uh, sure. What are the general taxation for employees here? Yeah, that's uh, pretty simple and straightforward. Employees get taxed uh, at a standard income tax rate, which is 20%. It's very flat and it's very fixed, right? It doesn't change. Georgia doesn't have a progressive taxation system. There's nothing, uh, you know, nothing complicated in our income taxation. It's a flat, one flat rate, no, no progressive tax, no wealth tax, nothing of the sort. And employees' uh, salary income just happens to be one of those very classic examples of income that is just subject to a standard tax rate, and there's nothing anyone really can do to circumvent that. Yeah, but actually, it's sort of good news because for a lot of people who have a higher tax tiers in the country they are, maybe once they earn over, say, $30,000, they start paying 40% in Germany or whatever it is. I don't know what the exact numbers are. Yeah. Uh, so this will this especially ring true for Western European countries. Yeah. No matter what your income is, if you earn a million dollars a year, you're still going to pay 20%. Exactly, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's pretty good compared to a lot of other jurisdictions. That's pretty decent, I would say. But the negative side is what we don't have is if you are on a very low income, uh, you don't have a tax exemption like you do in a lot of countries. Like your first $10,000 might be tax-free in some countries, whereas in Georgia it's not. No, no. I mean, there are obviously exceptions to that as well, but when it comes to the standard tax rate, it doesn't move. It's just fixed yeah. into place. It's 20% and that's it. That's the end of it. Obviously, this rate also applies to other types of individual incomes, unless you are eligible and also apply for some sort of a special tax regime, which we're going to be covering shortly here. Um, so if you're, let's say if you are a Freelancer, even, who does not do anything, does not register as anything, and you continue to provide your services, as we've established earlier, you, your income is taxable in Georgia, right? Especially if you're a resident, regardless of who, who your clients are, where you're getting the, your payments from. And if you don't do anything about it, you're going to owe 20%. And income taxes, right? The slight difference that I would uh, sort of mention here is that Salary income tax is very simple. It's calculated in an extremely simple way, right? Whatever your gross salary is, you pay 20% on that. As opposed to that, if you're some sort of an independent person, you have the sort of an option to deduct the expenses associated with generation of your income, 
So in that sense, you're technically paying 20% on your profits. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, when we're talking about salary, that's a completely different thing. We can talk about profits and expenses and, and stuff like that. So I guess that makes sense. Now, obviously, there are a lot of things that you can do to knock your standard tax rate down to a lower rate, right? But obviously, you have to be eligible for the tax breaks, the, the, the reduced tax rates that are available to specific types of persons. And I guess we can discuss those options right now. Yeah. Yeah, let's move straight on to that. So employees, pretty straight, uh, pretty straightforward, right? Pretty clear cut. Uh, if you're a, if you're being employed by a Georgian company and you come here employed by them, they're going to pay your taxes for you. Under most circumstances, they should pay your taxes for you. If you're employed right. by a foreign entity, you are responsible for declaring those taxes, and that's an annual declaration. And we'll talk a little bit more, more about all the declarations at the end of this section after we've covered the tax rates. But yeah, so one of the most popular tax rates uh, that a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about. Uh, the one percent tax rate for uh, for small business owners, and and also we'll mention the zero percent tax rate uh, tax rate for micro businesses briefly as well. Of course, I mean by far the most popular tax regimes for individuals at the moment. Uh, I guess the most popular is the small business status for individual entrepreneurs, right? There's sort sort of a sort of a smaller regime that is called a micro business status, which is not necessarily for individual entrepreneurs, but uh, it is essentially for people who you know do not generate a lot of income. Let's let's put it this way: the threshold for a micro business status is thirty thousand Georgian lares from economic activity in a tax year. So up to that amount, you can essentially apply with a revenue service. Uh, received about ten thousand US dollars. About roughly. ten thousand dollars, yeah. Uh, and you essentially pay no tax. You need to declare, though. This is something worth noting. I guess the the primary function of an annual declaration for for such a person is to continuously update the revenue service and let them know that you still qualify, essentially, right? So if if you go over the amount, the next best thing that's available is the small business status and. Uh, yeah, it's most popular regime, especially for freelancers. Now, this is not... Some people misunderstand this to be a freelancer tax regime uh, because it's often advertised as that. Well, I mean, it, it's true to some extent, but it's not exclusively for freelancers, right? It can be pretty much for any activity or any type of income that qualifies. Now, there are four extremely important things that we need to mention when we talk, in, talk, talk about a small business. Before, we move, before I move on to explaining what those are, let's reestablish what this is once again. Small business status. Don't be confused about the name. It sounds like you're creating a company. It's not a company, okay? It's just what the status is called. It's not a legal entity. It's, it's not a distinct, either. separate person. Don't, don't, yeah. you know, don't uh, get confused about that because it's a tax regime for an individual. And in pretty much 99.9% of the time, if you are a small business, you need to register as an individual entrepreneur, right? An individual entrepreneur is a business registration. Once again, it's pretty self-explanatory. You become a business as an individual. You're not a company, again. Like a sole trader in England. Individual entrepreneur, entrepreneur, it's called here. Yeah, sometimes it's called a private entrepreneur. So it's, it's, you know, all of that, pretty much. It's an, an analogy of all of that. So once you get the small business status, that makes you eligible to pay 1% on income from your economic activity, right? So let's move on to the four big considerations here. Number one, this is very, very important, turnover, right? Or revenue, I guess, uh, if you will. There is a threshold, sort of a soft threshold set for small businesses in Georgia, which is 500,000 Georgian lorries. Around 160,000 USD right now, probably 130,000 euros per year, right? Uh, that is your threshold. Now, it doesn't mean that you cannot exceed the threshold. And exceeding the threshold will not instantly result in cancellation or revocation of the status. But let's put it this way. You cannot do it consistently. You can't get away with exceeding the threshold from time to time, every other year to be exact. And when you do that, and not to a great extent, you're going to owe 3% after the moment of exceeding the threshold in the same year on your monthly income. Another important thing is that when you're a small business, you owe income tax every month, as opposed to a standard individual who files annually, right? 
So the income threshold is a very important consideration. If you if you are confident that you're going to be generating a lot more, significantly more than approximately 160,000 US dollars, would it be a general advice to not go for this status because you might risk some problems with the revenue service. But in every other case, you're you're fine. You're golden. If you if you if your income is under 160,000, yeah, that's perfectly fine, right? The second consideration is tax residency. This concerns most freelancers because obviously most pre- freelancers, you know, I mean, in Georgia, sell services to international clients, right? Yeah. And we established when we talked about residency that you need to be a resident eventually if you want to make this type of structure work because if you lose residency and if you're no longer in Georgia, you're not going to owe any tax here, right? So how are you going to utilize the 1% tax regime if you do not have any basis for taxation in Georgia, if, if your taxes are not even due in Georgia. For this reason, it's very important that if you decide to establish a structure, you secure your tax residency and make sure that you maintain it. Which, I mean, to be honest, it gives you a pretty a great, great deal, deal of flexibility still. You can establish a small business as a freelancer, right? And uh, you can, I mean, you will have to stay here six months uh, every year on average, right? But, I mean, you can travel the world for the remainder of those years, and um, it's still pretty flexible. I mean, it's obvious that this is not the type of tax regime that can be run or operated remotely. So it makes sense that it would be required of the persons applying for the status to spend most of the year in Georgia, right? Yeah. That's the second consideration. And the two other big considerations, uh, uh, there are limitations on uh, who can register for a small business. And there are also income types that are that are excluded from taxation in a small business, right? We talked about passive incomes earlier. Those are most of the types of incomes that are completely excluded from taxation. This is actually a good thing. For yeah. freelancers, this is a perfect thing, right? If you have passive income uh, stemming from, from outside of Georgia, those incomes not only would not be subject to taxation in a small business, and it makes sense, right? It's 0% tax. You're not paying any tax on it. But they are excluded, which means that they won't contribute to the 500000 threshold, income threshold, right? Yeah. This is really important, right? You might have, let's say, 400000 from your active business and 200000 from your dividends. And you might think that, oh, I don't qualify because I exceed the threshold. Well, you're in luck because you actually do qualify, right? Uh, one of the most, most important considerations here when we're talking about the types of incomes that are excluded, quote-unquote, uh, is employment, right? This is a business structure that we're discussing right now. This is not for employees of the companies. And I, I guess we, we can we can talk about that more extensively later on after we're done with establishing the basics here. But if you're employed, long story short, you, your income does not qualify for the 1% tax regime. Okay, that, that's where the conversation ends pretty much. Because as long as you generate seller income, which means that you're effectively not a business yourself, but you're working for a business, right? You have to pay the full 20% tax in Georgia. And uh, obviously the taxes will be applied in the way, in the manner that we discussed uh, when we talked about employment earlier. Yeah. And finally, the fourth, probably the most important, uh, arguably the most important consideration is the activity type, right? What you perform that also also is very important to determine whether the activity that you have qualifies you for this type of structure. Because, well, I mean, it would not make sense for every if every type of activity was allowed, then the one percent would be a standard tax rate, right? It would not be twenty. So that's uh, it's obvious that some of the activities are barred; that's, they're prohibited for small business status holders. And there's a list, you know, of, you know, different different activities that can, you can perform. Most freelancers are fine in this regard. I mean, I, to, to my knowledge, we don't get a lot of architects and, and uh, medical experts and lawyers. So most freelancers are fine. You know, your teachers, uh, writers, uh, software developers, uh, yeah, graphic, who else is there? Graphic Coaches. designers. Yeah, yeah, graphic designers, you know, stuff like that. They're fine. The common prohibition that gets in the way of a lot of people getting the status is consultancy. I don't want there to be any misconception about how this word is interpreted and what it means because a lot of people understand this word to mean a contractor, which is, well, I mean, from our understanding and from our perspective is wrong. 
Uh, when we refer to that word, it means it usually means advisory type of activity, right? So, if like you, a tax consultant, like, like a, a tax a consultant, business consultant, like or a management business, consultant, sure, sure, yeah. any of that, any type of advisory activity in written or verbal form doesn't really matter. Uh, if you're performing anything like that, you run a risk of being disqualified, right? So you need to examine this issue if you think that your activity is under the risk of being qualified as consultancy based on the description that we've just provided, you need to explore this more because, yeah, unfortunately, some people just uh, do not qualify. And, uh, well, there's not much we can do to change that for now. But one of the big things that we find, and it's, it's massively frustrating at our end that people don't realize this, they go and register and they tell the revenue service whatever they want to tell them to get that status. And the, the revenue service is very keen to just register you. So obviously, like in some countries, when you try to register something, they will ask you very detailed questions to make sure if you actually qualify. In Georgia, that won't happen. They'll ask you some very basic questions. You'll say something that sounds vague and they'll just go, sure. Yeah, all right. Here's the status. Now, the problem is everyone who does this thinks to themselves, oh, that's fine. They let me have it. So I have it. It's their fault. It's not their fault. Unfortunately, if they turn around and realize that you are doing something that was prohibited, you are the one who committed fraud and they are absolutely fine at their end. They don't care and they will back tax you on everything. So the concept here is not to mislead the authorities in any way you can to get this status uh, done. It is definitely not to just turn up and say stuff and hope for the best that what you said made sense. It is to actually decide and analyze what you do and whether you actually qualify and you have to make those decisions for yourself or with a tax advisor to make sure that you definitely do qualify. Otherwise, you are still liable to back taxes and penalties on all of the income that you earned since you registered that status. Absolutely. And it's also worth knowing that this could happen on accident, you know? Yeah. Because if you have like a specific description of your activity that you provide to the revenue service, the front desk people that usually process these applications might not even realize that what you're doing is something that's prohibited, right? So if you tell them like you're like some sort of a whatever, I mean, it's something that can be construed ultimately as consultancy. The person liable for your registration won't bother to go into that. So this could be a risk and it could be materialized when you're actually thoroughly checked, which happens when, when when a tax audit starts, right? So it's, you definitely have to make sure that you, you, your activity qualifies before moving forward with the registration. And as Tom already mentioned, absolutely crucial to understand that just because your application got through, it doesn't mean that you qualify. It just means that whoever processed it, well, they thought you qualified. And a common one here, actually, I mean, we said we go into employment rules a little bit more oh, yeah, because that's... this is a huge one and we see this all the time. Someone will go to the office by themselves, getting no advice on this in advance, and they'll just say, yeah, I do graphic design, and they'll get the status. But what actually is the true case? They do graphic design for a company that employs them, but doesn't necessarily have an employment contract. They have a a freelancer contract. It's their only client. They get paid a fixed wage every month. Everything about the contract looks exactly like an employee, except at the top, it says the word contractor. And they go, sure, I'm a contractor. This sort of thing is not looked upon favorably because if that was acceptable, then every single person employed by every company in Georgia could quit the job, get Some a contract. Tried. Some have tried. <laughs> many, and they've all got audited yeah, and fined. Well, many have. So, and, and that's yeah. where the, your, the example that you just brought up is extremely tricky. It's, it's even trickier than what we were, dis- that what we were discussing, uh, the example that we were discussing earlier, because employment is not a prohibited activity. So if you go to the revenue service and tell them that you're a graphic designer, but you're employed, technically, you still qualify for the small business, but it's not, it's also excluded. Remember when we, when we said that it's excluded means that you will have a small business, which is useless because your income will be treated as salary and you're going to have to pay 20% on your income. So yeah, I mean, sure. At that point, I mean, even the revenue services, I mean, technically they're right, right? They, I mean. Yeah, you're rightfully well, you might have, have a small business. You might have one client on the side who you make $100 a month for on, on Fiverr or something. Sure. You, you do a little bit of work and sure, that qualifies for 1%. Yeah. And then you've got your main income from your employment and you're allowed to do that. That's completely legal. But yes. you have to pay 20% on the employment income yeah. and then 1% on that $100 a month that you're making from your side gig. Exactly. So you have to uh, watch out for these types of uh, 
scenarios where it's like you think you qualify for something, but in reality, you, you really don't. So Let's talk about people who actually own a business in another country and also about um, LLCs in general and people who want to register a, a legal entity here in Georgia. Yeah, sure, sure. The LLC registration, well, one of the things that, you know, Georgia uh, is a shining example of a country where doing business and registering a business is extremely simplistic, right? Uh, registering an LLC in Georgia is so simple and it's it takes... You know, in most cases, I mean, it takes like, what, a couple of days, uh, yeah. two or three like, days. There's no capital requirements. No, there's and- no capital requirement. There's no membership requirement. It, you can be a fully, full-fledged corporation with just a single member in it. You know, there obviously there are some <laughs> requirements and regulations, but I mean, compared to what you deal with, let's say, in Germany, I mean, it's nowhere near that. The, the regulations and the requirements for setting up a company. It's easy to register, but there's obviously some advice you should get first and make sure that you know what you're doing. And don't use the uh, the general charter that they have at the public service hall. It's full of holes. It's <laughs> yeah. a terrible document. Uh, you should uh, get a charter drafted for you or uh, yeah, figure that out. And, yeah. and bilingual as well is advised if yeah, you're English. Yeah, definitely. People. No, the fact that it's easy doesn't mean that you, you, you know, can't mess it up. Just, yeah, yeah. You, can't, you obviously can, right? So it's best to have someone assist you with that. But... The taxation part, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, very peculiar uh, method of taxation that uh, applies to uh, companies in Georgia. And I mean, most listeners here would probably be familiar with the standard mode of taxation, which is like, oh, the company generates a profit at the end of the year, pay, pays a tax, right? Or in any other predetermined period of time. Uh, in Georgia, you have a profit distribution taxation model, which means that you pay the tax when the profit is distributed. Uh, not when it's generated. So in a hypothetical scenario, you can establish a business and uh, generate profits for, I mean, indefinitely, right? For two years, three years, 10 years, doesn't matter. If the profits continues to sit in the company or it gets reinvested in the company, which is a very, very, actually, that's the one of the major benefits of this type of system. You don't pay the tax. You only pay the tax when that profit is distributed to the shareholders in a dividend form. That's the most sort of general taxable event uh, from from the perspective of corporate taxation. And of course, this is like the best alternative for all of those people we just said wouldn't qualify, obviously not employees, Mm -hmm. but everyone else who's a business owner who doesn't qualify for the 1% has too much uh, income coming in. You know, they've got a lot of foreign business coming through their company. Maybe they have multiple partners in the company then this is the type of structure they're almost certainly going to need because yeah. they're not going to get the 1% tax and, rate. And I mean, don't forget about the limited liability, right? I mean, if you, if you are, even if you are like a you know, person who doesn't qualify for anything on an individual level, instead of going for the standard tax rate that is, applies to individuals, you might want to, you know, we might want to consider establishing an LLC because, hey, liability concerns, you know, some people, a lot of people have them. So why not just do this as a separate legal person? Uh, the taxes I haven't mentioned, uh, wh- when they're due, well, which happens upon profit distribution, the companies pay 15% uh, in a form of a corporate income tax. So that's the profit tax, I guess, for the company. And additionally, there's a dividend withholding tax uh, amounting to 5%, which is essentially the income tax of the shareholder, but the company obviously takes care of that and uh, takes care of the administration. So. Yeah, obviously there are special tax regimes for companies as well, and uh, that conversation is probably is gonna is gonna take us another hour. To that break could be an out. entire episode on its oh, own. Oh, for sure. For just, sure. Uh, I mean, just very quickly, IT companies are sort of the main one at the moment, which yeah. is people are interested in. There are some very uh, lower tax rates where the corporate tax rate is reduced to zero percent. Uh, there's a lot of other different benefits. Mm-hmm. You can check out our website to read about virtual zone virtual companies, zones, international company status. Will both happen to apply to pretty much, I mean, IT entities, but I mean, There's they a have lot of complications. Yeah, obviously, they have different scopes of regulation. Uh, they have an overlap for sure, uh, but um, yeah, ultimately they function differently. But uh, in both cases, you're looking at an effective tax rate of 5%. And with the international company, there are additional, a whole slew of tax uh, breaks and benefits that. You got uh, these companies are really designed for IT uh, businesses which want to employ local Georgians and like build a business here to help the economy of Georgia and, and grow the economy yeah. and the, the world standing of Georgia. I think that's sort yeah. of what they're aimed at. However, they have been abused to some extent. And that's why we're saying here 
don't just go register one without getting advice first oh, because yeah. a lot of people have got in trouble by misunderstanding the rules, not doing the w- things the way the government actually want you to do them. Uh, and then that comes back to haunt people with audits and, and back taxes and things like that. Yeah. So if it sounds a little too good to be true, the 1% rate isn't too good to be true if you follow the rules. And even virtual zone isn't too good to be true if you follow the rules. But the rules have been a little convoluted and a little difficult to understand. So, yeah, we shouldn't uh, cover more on that today. Maybe we'll do a full episode on that at some point. Uh, it's a very complex topic. Uh, but, yeah, we've covered LLCs. Uh, and the one other thing I wanted to try and get in before the end of this episode is for those people who own a legal entity outside of Georgia. And this is actually quite a lot of people because we also find uh, people from some countries can register something like a, a single member LLC. Uh, which is is not quite the same as a sole trader, and it's not quite the same as a full Somewhere LLC. In between, yeah. But it is still treated as a legal entity. Could be. We don't even well, know for sure. But it's it's a bit a bit of a gray area still yeah. in Georgia, but it could easily be treated like that. Uh, but if you do have a full LLC and a full legal entity abroad, of course, that's definitely going to be treated as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what's the main implications of having that if you're coming to live and work from your laptop in Georgia to run that company? So main implication is basically the fact that your presence in the country might expose your foreign company to corporate taxation. The logic behind this is very simple, right? If the company is registered in one country and all the activity and business is done physically in another country, well, it's only natural that the other country where all the activity is carried out is going to have, you know, a claim on on taxation taxing the income of the of the corporation, right? So Let's let's say, for example, you own a company in Estonia, which is very common, right? A single member company in Estonia, and you relocate to Georgia and you start, you know, activity in Georgia, right? There's no one else in the company for all practical intents and purposes. You are the business. You are the company. It's the person who does all the work, right? And obviously there are exceptions from this, like automated services and platforms and all that stuff. But in a, spe- in, a, in a simpler example where an active work is done by a person, in this case, Georgia could say that, hey, what, you, what happens here is that your presence in Georgia constitutes a so-called a permanent establishment of a foreign enterprise, which basically means a fixed place when the, where the business of the foreign company is done, right? And in more classic scenarios, this is like a branch or like a representative office, but it could as well. I mean, it could be your desk, literally. Yeah, your no, Airbnb. Yeah, where your you, Airbnb. You have your office space in your Airbnb. Exactly. Right. This is why you why you need to be careful with this because you may think that you're safe. You may think that you you have a corporation outside of Georgia. It has its own bank account. It pays the taxes in the home country. But Georgia might also have a claim to taxing its incomes, profits. Uh, and that is also a concern, would you say, even if you're not here for 183 days and you're not personally depends. a tax resident? So this no, is it depends. Gray area as well. it's, it's kind of a, no, it's not really a gray area. So the international, like it's, there, there's an OECD standard, like let's, let's put it this way. There's an international standard that typically current establishments do not get triggered before the six month mark. Okay. So if, if you're doing such business in Georgia for like three or four months, the chances of exposure are extremely slim yeah. because it doesn't even make sense. And most of this one person setups, we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about like an exorbitant amount of profits here. So, I mean, profits attributable to four months of someone staying in Georgia might not be that high. So it would not even make sense from a practical perspective for the government to, to pursue this. But I mean, we don't even need to talk about that because the standard is that typically a permanent establishment is triggered in, in six months, right? You won't necessarily read this if you look at the rules. And that's why I'm saying it's a practice thing, right? It's the overall approach of the OECD nations, uh, signatory nations. Yeah, I mean, there are exceptions to this. Like there, there's an exception in our tax code for management, like being like a executive person in the company, which sort of cuts the permanent establishment triggering time in half. And you could trigger permanent establishment in three months instead of six if you're managing, like literally managing, not just doing business, but managing for, for a foreign enterprise. And there are all sorts of other exceptions uh, for this, obviously. But uh, generally, I would say if you're looking to relocate to Georgia or reside here short term, which is more than six months, six months to a year or even potentially more than that, you need to consider this. If you have a company outside of Georgia, the best advice that that can be given in those instances is to just 
you know, leave it dormant for a while if you can afford to do that. Or if you have more long-term plans of doing business, you may want to look at the options of re-establishing the business in Georgia and doing everything that way. Which also potentially may reduce your tax bill for that business. Oh, so. oh in most cases yeah. it does, right? Most yeah. people don't realize they have their own companies and they, they have their own tax regimes wherever those companies are and they think, oh, I just have this, I don't want to disturb this but without even realizing that you have a better option in Georgia. Yeah. Which is, yeah, this is something definitely worth exploring. Yeah. Avoiding annual profit tax by only paying on distributions is great for startups and anyone who's trying to build a business fast. So that's already fantastic. You can reinvest that money. You can even, uh, you can open a second uh, daughter LLC, for example, of that company and invest money in that company of the company. Yeah. So the company you own. So if you wanted to start a second business, you can invest money from the first business without paying any corporate tax on that as well. So there's lots and lots of options to reinvest money if you're doing it that way. And, and that's a, a huge benefit over countries, uh, other countries that would charge you annual profit tax. Yeah. Uh, and then, as we said before, 15% is the corporate tax rate and 5% on personal dividends uh, when you, you make those distributions. So uh, the, the main implication, though, is if you do get taxed from your foreign entity that you're running from Georgia, you would pay only the 15% corporate tax rate course, on the money you receive, not the dividends yeah, payout. I mean, there's tax. no dividend payout, right? No. If you have a if if it's a, have such an establishment, the permanent establishment that we were referencing earlier, well, it, it is a, it is treated for tax purposes as like a, an entity, if you will, corporate taxable entity, but it's still not like a it's not like a proper LLC. It's not a company. If you're not a company, you can't distribute dividends. It's physically impossible, right? So there there would not be any dividend tax. On the other hand, this does not necessarily mean that just because the five percent is not there. This regime is better. No, it doesn't mean that at all because I we cannot go into this right now, but the administration of a permanent establishment and the corporate taxation of it is can be extremely complicated in many scenarios. So you, it might not even be worth the headache. Even if you're okay with a 15% tax rate, in many cases, it might be just better to establish an LLC in Georgia and pay that extra five. So again... The, there are too many examples and too many scenarios where both options could be viable. Uh, and without knowing the specifics of the case, it's not worth really discussing or giving any pointers on. So uh, bottom line, you know, explore your options, right? You have options if you're running, a, if you want to keep running a business that is outside of Georgia. Let's sit down and talk about it, basically. Yeah. We've talked about the, the general other types of structures. Of course, there are other options like JSCs, but they're not going to apply to most remote workers who are coming here. Yeah. Uh, so those are the main ones that are going to affect most people. But there are a few other important considerations that I'd like to cover, which apply to all of these companies, uh, at mm -hmm. least almost all of them. VAT. Let's talk about VAT quickly. VAT applies only in certain cases, and it's actually very specific and can be quite beneficial for companies when all of their, um, all of their income is coming from abroad and from clients abroad. So maybe you can talk about the difference between when VAT is required to be collected, uh, when it's mandatory for your company to be VAT registered, and, and when it's not required and income that's not vatable. Yeah. Well, I guess we can sort of simplify and just, uh, you know, just uh, relay the general rules here because VAT is undoubtedly the most complicated tax, at least in Georgia. And I, I, I yeah, see. we could do a whole episode, but oh, also oh, I'm not sure how many people could, would listen to it. You could have a whole season on <laughs> yeah. VAT. Uh, and um, yeah, it would be pretty boring, though. Yeah. Um, There's some main points that affect a lot of people yeah. that are important to, yeah. to cover. The main point, uh, obviously, we're talking mostly, we're, we're, when we're talking about expats, it's, it's rare that we come across people who are engaged in supply of goods, right? If we talk about supply goods, supply of goods, I mean, things can, can get pretty complicated. And generally, it's not that complicated. If you export stuff out, out of Georgia, VAT is not a consideration. You don't, you don't need to do anything. If you sell um, physical products here, then you might... Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's that's like the most classic example yeah. of a valuable transaction. It's a local sale of goods, right? Um, but the in terms of services, this is, this is probably what interests most people, yeah. right? There is a sort of a general approach to taxation of services when it comes to VAT, right? Uh, if I mean, we're assuming that the seller of the service is some type of a business, right? Or it can be an individual who functions as an entrepreneurial individual, not necessarily a registered business. In any case, if you're selling a service to a business that's registered outside of Georgia, VAT generally does not apply. And this is an important consideration. This is, there's an important distinction between 
non-variable transactions and VAT exempt transactions. Non-variable transactions, like the ones I just mentioned, are the transactions that are not a local sale, do not constitute a local sale, right? VAT exempt transactions, on the other hand, are the types of transactions that would typically be taxable, but for a specific reason they're exempted, right? So when you're selling a service, again, to a foreign business, generally speaking, VAT does not apply because it's a non-edible transaction because such services are not deemed to be carried out in the territory of Georgia. As opposed to that, when you're carrying out a B2C transaction, a business-to-customer transaction, where essentially they're on the receiving end, you have a person, an individual who's now registered as a business, right? A consumer. In that case, the general rule is that VAT does apply, but there are, there's an extensive list, list of exemptions from that rule. Most notably, automated digital services, for example, uh, consulting services, uh, you know, th- there's other stuff there as well. It's a pretty extensive list. So it, what that means that, for instance, if you're a consultant and you're consulting an individual who's outside of Georgia, VAT still doesn't apply because that's, that's an exception from the general rule which is that B2C transactions are generally valuable, right? So that's sort of the, I guess I, I guess you could call that an overview of application of VAT on uh, provision of services internationally. Typically, uh, digitally rendered services on the whole to customers are not going to... Typically, yeah, and typically we, we, we have to be careful with how we define that because it's this concerns automated services. Like if you have like a SaaS or something, if you have like software as a service, or something along those lines. If it's a digitally rendered service that is delivered actively, meaning that I I work for you, like I actively do the work, it's not deemed as digitally rendered service for VAT purposes. So you have we have to be careful with that. But typically, I mean, we don't deal with a lot of examples where digital services are delivered to customers and they're not automated. This this would be really this would be pretty exceptional. Yeah, and right? then when consulting is covered anyway. That, that, yeah. that's one of the major ones where you could easily jump on a Zoom call and provide a service, but it, consulting, yeah, potentially. Yeah, which is an exception, right? Yeah. So VAT does not apply in that case. In any case, if the aggregate turnover from, from valuable transactions, which means local sales, your income has to be valuable in the first place, right? Uh, if, if, that, if, if turnover from such transactions reaches 100,000 in any 12-month period, then you're liable to pay VAT, right? Then you're liable to register and start paying the VAT from but, that point on. But only on services that are battable. Of course. So and and the only services that will contribute to the 100,000 threshold are the battable services. So you need to have the local sales to trigger the liability of registration in the first place. If you don't have any local sales, then no, you don't You don't have the liability to register as a VAT payer. Yeah, but if you did trigger it, you would still just declare that these are non-vatable on your VAT return for your foreign yes, services exactly. provided to B2B. And that's it. So it's, uh, it's not the end of the world, even if you do start doing business for Georgian clients uh, and you do trigger the threshold, you'll only have to charge the Georgian clients the, uh, the VAT yeah, in that generally case. Generally, that is correct. Generally, yeah. yeah of course, there are of lots of exceptions and we're doing a very general overview of VAT. Mm-hmm. We said a whole, we'll do a whole series. Let's do a whole podcast on VAT. <laughs> <laughs> the Georgia VAT podcast yeah. it would run into like 50 different episodes. It's going to have 50 views. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no one's going to listen to it. In fact, we might be losing listeners right now just by talking about VAT. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So let's move on from it. Just in case, don't lose us yet. Uh, these things are important. And uh, it's probably good news for most people that most of their services are not going to be incurring any VAT or even add to their VAT threshold calculation, right. which is good. But one of the things that, uh, that sort of connects with this that, that is important uh, is reverse VAT, which is a fun concept. Uh, so in this case, uh, you might want to register to be a VAT payer so that you can claim back your reverse VAT, but still not pay any VAT on your services because they're all provided to foreign clients. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can tell us what is reverse VAT uh, and wh- what's going to happen with that and, and what's the benefits of registering your business uh, for VAT to try and avoid reverse VAT. Yeah. Well, I mean, the B2B rule applies both ways, right? Essentially, if you if if a business from outside of Georgia provides services to a business that's in Georgia, right? The place of provision of services will be Georgia because the recipient is in Georgia. If the service is supplied in the territory of Georgia for the purposes of economic activity, that is literally the definition of the valuable transaction. Which means, what does it mean? Someone has to pay VAT on it, right? 
The reverse VAT is basically a concept where a tax agent, so the person purchasing the service from abroad, administers and applies VAT and pays it to the budget. But in reality, I mean, if this was a local transaction, the service provider would do that. But well, I mean, they're not in Georgia, so the tax agent does it for them, right? Now, in most cases, this may end up as the local business's expense, right? Mm. So in order for this to not happen and in order for you not have uh, additional 18% tax, essentially, you can register voluntarily as a VAT payer, even if, you're, if you don't have local sales and you, your local sales do not uh, exceed 100,000 in 12 month periods, you still can voluntarily register as a VAT payer, which will then entitle you to essentially reclaim the reverse VAT. Now, basically, I mean, this, this, this is how it works. Like this, is, this would be the legal description of it. In reality, you're not paying anything and you're not reclaiming anything. You're just declaring that reverse VAT and the, the money does not leave your pockets, so to speak. You're not transferring anything. You just It's paperwork. Basically, yeah. it's paperwork, right? Which means, I mean, at that point, you are a VAT registered and you need to be wary. If you have any local transactions, you will start to charge, you will start to have to charge VAT on your local transactions. But again, VAT registration will not harm you in any way if you exclusively deal in non-vatable sales. If you sell your services to foreign businesses, for instance, right? Yeah, you may think that, oh, I'm a VAT registered. What do I have to do now? Well, not much. I mean, nothing. Well, you have to file some work every fail. month. Yeah, that's course. the main, that's yeah, the that's main that's annoying the main, part. That's the annoying part. Obviously, the, the, the administrative part is going to be there, but uh, no additional tax. So that's good. But if you have significant expenses from your business, say you have a bunch of contractors that you hire aboard and you're paying them their contractor fees, and you're having to pay out 18% VAT on every one of those invoices that they send you for their fees, then, of course, being able to claim that back without any penalties in the other direction is a pretty good deal. Of course. It just makes sense. It just makes sense to do it. If you barely have any expenses, if you have like one uh, subscription to Adobe Suite or something that comes out every year because you're a graphic designer, then maybe it's not worth it. Just pay the 18% on that one subscription, and it's not worth having to do a lot of extra paperwork. Yeah. So you just got to balance that out, and that's, that's something that you can you can figure out depending on the amount of expenses you actually have. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next one, uh, probably the final one of the main types of taxes that are common for all of the people we speak speak to on all of our calls for remote workers specifically, tax withholding, mm-hmm. also uh, on international transactions specifically. Uh, how does tax withholding work, and who's it going to affect? Yeah, so the the withholding taxation works in a very similar manner to you know what we just discussed about the reverse VAT, right? When businesses, uh, foreign businesses, uh, perform some activities in Georgia, uh, when their incomes constitute a Georgian source income, Georgian source income is generally a taxable event, right? Or a taxable taxable income. So someone needs to pay that tax, and the non-resident businesses are typically not. Uh, the persons who pay that tax. It's the person who's purchasing the their service in most cases because uh, taxation of goods and property that's dealt with separately is a little complicated. But in most cases, when a non-resident person uh, sells services in Georgia and that sale constitutes a generation of uh, or results in generation of Georgian source income, the tax agent, meaning the person who purchased the service, has to pay the tax, has to withhold 10% income tax at the source of payment. Uh, This is a bit of a complicated issue uh, because in practice, the revenue service has shown uh, that they just, uh, you know, they they just uh, do a blanket application of this 10% to pretty much any service that is purchased from abroad. If we look at the law, it's not entirely correct, so I don't want to mislead anyone here and tell them that you absolutely owe that 10%. But I don't know. It's, it's so there's sort of a clash between the practical reality of this issue and the legal sort of uh, regulation of the issue. The, the, the legal side dictates that uh, not every time you purchase a service from a non-resident, not every, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to apply 10% every time, but in practice, that's kind of how it happens. And generally, that's what we advise our clients to do. Because, I mean, we're, we're trying to approach this from a practical point of view, right? You don't want to get in trouble with the revenue service. And if, you're, if your expenses are not that significant, you may be better off just paying the 10% tax and, you know, just not argue about it. If your expenses are pretty significant, 
you have two options, right? You can either be on the safe side and still pay the tax, which could be, you know, a significant burden on you financially. Um, but um, I guess you, you would be, I mean, you, you would be paying the tax in order to be safe. Or you can fight it. You cannot pay the tax. And if the revenue source to, uh, starts to argue argue with you, then I, I don't know. I guess you can appeal their decision. And we typically help uh, in such uh, procedures. And we assist in communication with the revenue service. And um, that you could even uh, potentially uh, be a part of a landmark case because there is no conclusive practical, uh, there's no conclusive practice on this issue. But Again, to not, I don't want to overcomplicate this issue any further. As a general rule, if a non-resident person is selling services to a Georgian business and that sale constitutes Georgian source income, the Georgian business needs to withhold 10% at the source of payment and you know submit the declarations, pay the tax and everything. Yeah, and the, the cases where you would maybe want to try and avoid paying it or at least uh, discuss with your advisor on it, they typically revolve around countries that have a double tax agreement with Georgia, and that is the reason that you go. It, it's I know it's more it's, complicated it's more than complicated, this, and it's, but yeah. that's sort of like the more likely situation. So, for just for a clean and easy way to look at this without having to go into too much detail, yeah. if you're buying services from the USA that does not have a double tax agreement, you're pretty much stuck. Just pay it. There's not going to be a uh, yeah. I mean, you can fight it still. You, you can could. still fight it based on what the Georgian tax code states states right when there's a double tax treaty you can avoid 10 percent in pretty much any case because with a double tax treaty you can argue that well it's it's the business income of the business that's providing the service it should only be taxable there the problem with a double tax treaty though is that it doesn't apply automatically you need to apply for the exemption right so there are formal procedures that you need to go through to get this benefit but when there's a double tax treaty, as a general rule, and we have to sit down and talk about it in every every, every specific case, obviously, there's not going to be a uniform, universal solution to, to this issue just because there is a double tax treaty. But, you know, generally speaking, you can't get rid of this 10%, okay? But if there's not, and the most common cases that we encounter, people are paying, you know, advertising fees to Google. Yeah. Or people are paying, I don't know, some sort of service fees to Amazon for using the platform or something, you know? That's that, that's the most problematic area here, you know? Because yeah. there's yeah. no treaty. The, the treaty can't help you. Then the only sort of leverage you have to argue against taxation is the provisions of the tax code, which provide you with a pretty decent argument. It just happens to be a case of the revenue service is not caring, <laughs> kind of, and they, they think that if you're purchasing a service, that's the end of the discussion right there. Just owe the tax. We're hoping that this trend will will not continue. We're hoping that the practice will change. But um, for now, I think it's safer to just pay the tax if there's no treaty. Let's put it this way. Okay. All right. We're going to move on from, uh, from discussing tax rates. Uh, let's move on to sort of our final main couple of topics. Uh, accounting requirements. We've mentioned very briefly that you have to file monthly. Uh, I think that's about as far into it as we've got. We mentioned that there are VAT yeah. returns to file if you become VAT registered. Uh, what are sort of the main details on, on accounting? Well, I mean, if you're a business, um, I'm trying to think of the business types. You're, if you're a business, you're going to end up having to file monthly, right? Even if you are an individual entrepreneur, the small business structure, the popular one that we were referencing earlier, you have to file monthly. In a company, you also have to file monthly. Uh, in some in certain instances, you are actually obligated to submit zero declarations if you do not have anything going on in the company, right? Uh, but that, those cases are a little exceptional, so I won't cover those in detail, detail right now. But generally, a monthly filing is a requirement for businesses, uh, for individuals who don't have any specific type of business registration. This is not a thing. Especially if you're like employed in, with a, in a foreign company or something, they would file you would annually. File annually, and you don't have to you, you don't have to worry about anything throughout the year. Essentially, right? The 31st of March, following the relevant year, would be your deadline. So you have plenty of time to get everything, get your incomes, you know, compiled and, and uh, you know file them and pay the tax. So. And this uh, an exception to this that people may not notice uh, is for individual entrepreneurs who do not register for the one percent small oh, business yeah. status. 
So they're still considered individuals rather than a business in the different sense that a small business status. Yeah, is. they're not considered to be a special. They don't. They're not considered uh, as a as a hold as holders of a special tax regime, right? Yeah. The, the reason why small business is subject to the monthly declaration is because it's a special tax regime. It has special rules. An individual entrepreneur is is a business. It's a form of business registration, but it doesn't have any special rules like that. It 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 still has the standard mode of taxation, twenty percent. So. It's logical that the filing also happens according to the standard rules, which is annually. Yeah. Right. All right. And yeah, of course, the the system you can file with now is it's all digital. So nothing to panic about with lots of pieces of paper. Uh, you can register for the online portal after you set up your revenue service account and you can do all your monthly filing online. Yeah. Uh, just to say that the English translations are hit and miss at best. <laughs> uh, we do have a lot of people come to us because they just get confused and it, it's a little overwhelming to start with. So some people file their own taxes, but uh, of course, uh, if you want yeah, accountancy would, service, then I think that's generally ill-advised. I would yeah. say. I mean, it's you're better off with an accountant unless your your case is extremely simple, where you yeah. just file one number every month or something like that. Even in that case, there are additional considerations. Right, you're going to get contacted by the statistics office to provide quarterly statistics report. In addition to that, if you're a company, you have to file your financial, uh, you have to do financial reporting, essentially. You have to file your financial statements. And, you know, most people can deal with that themselves. I mean, you can, if, you want, if you'd like to challenge yourself, why not? Sure. Uh, but the, the more da- dangerous aspect of just translating the thing, the portal and... Uh, the, the Google Translate version is it's, it's a little just concerning. Omits, it's just um, omits, it omits words, entire words. It's not even that it's inaccurate. It's sometimes it doesn't show you what's there, which is really weird. And I've noticed this quite recently. So you need to be careful with that for sure. Yeah, I think the translation of the, the monthly submission actually says annual on it, <laughs> on the button. And you have to know that the annual button is the monthly button. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty bad. To follow the right declaration. Otherwise, you miss your declaration. Yes, that should can't... give you an idea how accurate those translations yeah. are. Yeah. So uh, don't rely on it entirely. Uh, yeah. Definitely not a good idea. So let's uh, finally, uh, last couple of things. I want to cover when you should register, sort mm-hmm. of uh, some general ideas about how to register uh, your business. And uh, and why why you should register really? I mean, we've discussed most of that, but I'm going to summarize all this at the end of what we've just discussed. So, uh, when should you register a business? Let's say you just walked into Georgia today. Mm-hmm. Should you register this week? Should you register after 183 days? Is there a general best practice? Um, I mean, yeah. Does it matter which type of business you're registering as to whether you should register immediately or not? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. But in 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 most cases, it's advisable to re- register as soon as possible, right? There are exceptional cases, of course, when you have like a foreign company and you don't want to close it down yet. And sure, you can uh, you can not do anything for a couple of months and then then register the business. But uh, with certain types of businesses, like the small business status that we've been referencing uh, many times thus far, you need to pretty much register as soon as possible. If you're going to be uh, performing activity in Georgia, as we talked about that earlier, in many cases, you're going to become taxable even before you hit the the required period, uh, the required time uh, time requirement for ta- triggering tax residency. Right? Even if you there's an important thing that I mentioned earlier, the word retroactive yeah. taxation. It's not possible with the one percent tax rate. So the problem yeah. is, if you come here, you work for a few months, then you go, oh, maybe I'll stay here a bit longer and and go over the 183 days. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll register sort of shortly after the 183 days. That doesn't work very well because then you're going to definitely be a tax resident for the year, mm-hmm. and you're definitely going to owe taxes on the work that you did while you were here, and you're going to pay the 20% tax rate on that work that you That's did right. before you registered because you cannot get that 1% tax rate. Mm-hmm. And even when you do register, you don't get the 1% tax rate until the first day of the month following that exactly. successful registration. Yep. So you you really do need to get on it if you're definitely intending to be a tax resident in that year and to have your your business operating from Georgia. Right. Yep. Um, with other statuses, uh, well, like registering the LLCs. I mean, as yeah, you said, I mean, it's yeah. just a, it's just a, it's just a common sense thing, right? If if you're starting your business, <laughs> register yeah, the company. If you're operating, if you're operating, yeah, yeah then do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, don't. I think the main takeaway is don't wait till 183 no. days to make a decision about what you're going to do. Definitely. I mean, only wait if you're not doing anything. Let's, let's yeah. put it this way. If you have way. no if economic you have activity, no it's fine. economic activity, if you have no income, especially, I mean, you might have some income, you know, but 
in most cases, if you don't have any income, uh, or at least it's not active income, yeah, you can probably wait around to decide. But no, if you're doing work, if you're gen- like if you're doing business, just go for it as soon as you can. Yeah, uh, and if you're an employee, then you have until before March 31st of the following year to register and then submit all your taxes. Exactly, right? I mean, if someone came to Georgia this month, like March, like they would not have to do anything before, you know, essentially January 1st of next year. And that's the earliest that can file. You can't even file in advance if you wanted to. So, But you can still go and get a revenue service account yeah. anyway. And just just yeah. set things up for yourself. Just get the revenue service account. And when, when the time comes, you can file your incomes and pay the tax. And it's going to be that. Yeah. All right. Uh, so some very quick tips. Uh, I got a few tips because we, we do a lot of business registrations for a lot of different types. Well, all the types of businesses, of course. Uh, we, we know some of the common mistakes. I just wanted to throw out some useful tips for everybody. First, I'm going to start with some really simple ones because people mess this up. Trust me, people come to us after a few months and go, I think I did this wrong. And then they have back taxes to pay and it, it's a real problem. Uh, number one, the registration of a small business, of your small business status, SBS, 1% tax rate, is it's two steps. It's not one step. Uh, you, you have to go and register as an individual entrepreneur at the public service hall first. And then you have to go to the revenue service and complete the registration. But you also have to make sure you actually ask them for the small business status. Don't just go to the IRS and say, here's my tax number that the service hall gave me. You actually have to ask for it or you won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we've seen this so many times. People go like... Oh, it's still happening. Yeah, it's yeah, still it's happening. constantly happening yeah. uh, because people look on Facebook rather than actually <laughs> looking at a company that does this all the time. Uh, so, of course, I mean, we help with these business registrations. So any of these problems, I'm just giving you a very brief overview of some, some tips. But, uh, of course, we can actually do these for you and make sure that everything's done properly. Yeah, a- another one, actually, like the people just realizing once they've registered, they don't set up their tax portal. And then they, it's like the 14th of the next month. They've got to pay taxes by the 15th of the month following their first full month of business. And they go, oh, I can't access the portal. It's like, yeah, you have to set it up. You have to get in there. Or even when you log in, you can't access it until you fill in certain details and all of the, all of the information is sort of in Georgian and doesn't translate properly. Uh, and then you don't know how to fill it in and it won't let you submit it. And then you go, okay, well, now I have like 24 hours to pay my taxes before before uh, I get fines and penalties for for missing the deadline. And I should have done that straight away. So do that straight away and get that set up. Yeah. Don't wait until the day before your taxes are due to do it. What, what else? Uh, what are sort of other some common basic mistakes? I don't want to spend loads of time on this, but um, of the LLCs we mentioned before, don't use uh, this charter from the public service hall because yeah. it's a mess, especially if you have multiple shareholders. Sure, if you're the only person in your business, maybe it's fine. But if you're not, you could find down the line, if there's a, uh, an argument between you and other shareholders, you could be in trouble because it just hasn't covered you properly. That's a big one. And the business registration for the LLCs, you, you do the first part of the registration at the service hall and then the entity is set up. But then also what happens next? Do you still have to deal with the revenue service to, I mean, to get the, things it, connected? It, I mean, the LLC has to have its own you know, tax setup. There needs to be an account and everything. So obviously, yeah, there's a process at the revenue service that needs to be sort of dealt with. Don't necessarily, you know, have to go to the revenue service. I don't think at, at this stage to to do that. But uh, there's a lot more digital services yes. available for this, and even for SBS, there are some ways to do it digitally. But once again, if you don't speak Georgian, it is not easy to get it right. Right. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, some new legislation that came out at the start of this year, which means you now have to register for a, a MyGov account mm-hmm. um, soon after. It's not like a. It's not like legally mandated to do it immediately after registration. But you will get sent some information uh, straight after registering, and you do have to go forward and get that account set up as well. Now that's a new thing as of 2022. Right. And what another one? Okay, another big one. We have a lot of people who fly in to open their businesses and leave straight away, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to realize that your Georgian phone number, which is mandatory by the way, if you turn up with a foreign phone number to the service order register, you cannot register your business. You need to have a Georgian phone number, and then they leave the country and they realize they can't get text messages from the IRS because they didn't pay for a foreign account on their phone. Uh, they can't set up their MyGov account. They can't get the codes that you get sent. Uh, this is another thing with the portal. If you don't have the phone uh, that receives the, the code, two-step yeah. verification. Uh, yeah, if you don't have that phone and it's not active because you're abroad and you didn't have the right package for your phone to work abroad, uh, then you can't do anything and right. you're completely locked out. And you, it's very hard to get back into that account without that phone number and without actually going in person to these offices. So if you are planning a trip, and I know some people do, to come here for like 48 hours to get stuff set up, that's a bit bit of a risk. I would advise coming for a week. 
have a vacation enjoy your time in georgia go see the mountains go try some wine uh, and uh, yeah don't just uh, don't just come for 24 hours it, it's definitely high risk and you might not actually get the procedure completed mm-hmm. so yeah there's some of the main ones actually one last thing before we move on to the final section uh, i'd say sort of yeah three to five days is a good amount to allow for your uh, for registration uh, oh, yeah. as a minimum as a minimum. yeah especially when it comes to the time sensitive type of registrations like the small business you know you want that one percent status to be active as soon as possible right yeah and if you if you if you arrive on the 26th and you know you mess something up and it doesn't go through you're not gonna have the status for another month Right. Yeah. So it it would be advisable to you know start the process. I would even go as far as saying like start the process like a couple of weeks, like yeah. the middle of the month. I mean, in fact, there's a common problem that comes up. Uh, sorry to add in more <laughs> more tips uh, at the last minute, but uh, that if you already have a tax ID and you might not know you have a tax ID, and actually, I think this is like right. a public That's service a information <laughs> announcement yeah. here. Because this really helps our company because we find this all the time. People don't realize they have a tax ID already. Mm-hmm. They purchase something from Amazon online. They got it delivered with like USA to Georgia, Kiwi Post. There's a lot of services here that deliver from the US. Uh, it arrived. They got charged some tax on it at the border mm-hmm. and they paid the tax. But they didn't realize that they had a account automatically set up for them. Yeah. Now, the second they go to register their business uh, with the IRS for the small business status, the RS will go, hang on, your name has two different tax numbers now, the one you've just set up to start this process and the one that you have from importing some goods. And then they are going to take approximately up to 10 days, could be three or less, but it can actually take up to 10 business days for them to reconcile the two codes together and uh, give you one account, which they have to do and they, they won't let you have two accounts. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, yeah, if you started your process halfway through the month even, you might not actually get it completed by the end of the month. So that's also one very specific one. There you go. So yeah. VAT on import. I mean, this is, uh, it just requires for the person to be tax registered. So look out for that one. All right. So we are running out of time. Let's do the, the final little overview here. So what did we talk about in this episode? We talked about the different types of tax rates. Uh, we have the, the 1% tax rate for a small business status, which is that two-part process. Uh, 0% tax rate if you have uh, less than 10,000 US dollars, about mm-hmm. 30, well, 30,000 lari specifically, mm-hmm. uh, with the micro business status, which you can do just at the revenue service. Uh, and that's relatively easy. Um, but that's not for employees. Once again, that's actual business economic activity. If you are an employee, it's a 20% flat rate, whether you earn a million dollars a year or $10,000 a year. Uh, so that's a big one. And for LLCs, uh, 15% corporate tax and 5% on personal dividends. Uh, withdrawn from the company when you're in Georgia and you're a Georgian uh, resident taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 18% VAT if you're VAT liable, which a lot of transactions are not if you are working with international clients, B2B and some B2C. 10% on withholding is typical, but it depends uh, on a few factors and it's a bit complicated. 15% actually happens as well if you're dealing with uh, preferential tax countries, such as the Seychelles and other sort yeah. of offshore jurisdictions. We didn't mention that, but just quickly to let you know that it's not always 10%. And if there's a double tax agreement or other specific things that we discussed in more detail earlier, then the 10% may be something you can argue against. Uh, reverse VAT, if you purchase uh, anything from abroad, including services, uh, services specifically, uh, not products. Products would be taxed at no, the time of import. Exclu- pretty much exclusively services. And there's yeah. other weird stuff there, but it mostly applies to purchase That's, service purchases. Yeah. That one's 18% as well, though. Uh, yeah. And you would need to declare that and pay that in your monthly tax returns. And if you can claim that back because you are, have become voluntarily VAT registered, then that can be a bonus as well. Uh, you can actually head to our website. Let's, uh, let's put that out there because uh, expathub.ge slash VAT slash VAT uh, because these are pretty complicated. And that article there has a bunch of sort of rules to help you choose what might work for your business if you're going to do that. We talked about some special tax statuses like virtual zone and international company status. Definitely go and search the expathub.ge website for those because those are really complicated and there's a, a lot of new rules that came out for Virtual Zone this year as well. And we talked about if you have a branch, if you well, considering maybe opening a branch office here because your business is actually based outside of Georgia, definitely something you need to think about within the first three months, if uh, maybe the first six months, depending on the way you're performing your business activities. Actually saying that, one of the main thing that we discussed was uh, yeah, within 183 days for certain situations, but within uh, 30 days for employees you need to definitely already be considering your tax situation. And uh, if you're planning to stay here for the long term, then get that sorted early rather than late. 
Right. Um, mm. We've covered a, a lot of stuff here. There was actually a couple of other bits I wanted to cover, but I think we'll have to put a new episode out at some point on that. Wanted to talk about maybe some of the implications for how joining the system here works if you still are paying tax abroad somewhere else. Uh, but I, yeah, we're we're way over time, even for breaking this into two parts. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of we've, stuff for now. We've so. covered all of the Georgian side, all of the most important stuff for remote workers specifically coming to Georgia and people looking to open a business in Georgia and move their taxes here. So yeah, I'm right. happy with that, and we will we'll definitely look at doing a follow up third episode to cover some other topics uh, at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, Levan, thanks for joining me. Thanks this for all of great. the information. This was great. Thanks for having me. And of course, you can get a consultation with Levan if you want to speak to him personally. Uh, you can book a premium consultation on our website or if you want to speak to one of our other associates or occasionally to Levan, you can book a free consult. He doesn't do so many free consults anymore, but he is sometimes available for those depending on the situation you might get assigned to Levan. You never know. It does yeah, happen occasionally. You so yeah, but there'll be someone from our team who can talk through your situation uh, more specifically in more detail to get you tailored advice so that you can actually get the right answers for you and for your business and for your, your hopeful future in Georgia, because I highly recommend people to live here. I've lived here for quite a few years now and I, I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I love those tax rates as well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Levin, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Tivolisi Podcast. Connect with us at foodfundtravel.com slash Podcast, where you can find all relevant social media links, join our email newsletter, and discover more about travel, tours, and expat services in Georgia. This show was brought to you by foodfundtravel.com, expathub.ge, and eatthistours.com.